to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I feel that the Lord wants to deliver something to us this evening. We're going to begin at the first portion of this chapter. We're going to skip around a little bit in this chapter. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say oh no. Got a few oh no's. Aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of God tonight? Many of you may have had very busy days, but even through it all, my Bible still tells me that His mercies are new every day. I'm thankful for the Lord tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded. Turn to your neighbors and say, invaded. Invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And it had taken the women captives that were therein and slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power or no more ability to weep. David's two wives have been taken captives. Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, his wife, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. Not just in the Lord, but in the Lord his God. And David said unto Abathar the priest, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Skip ahead to verse 16 with me tonight. And when he had brought him down, behold, there was spread about, uh, broad upon 
all the earth eating and drinking. This is the enemy eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from twilight un, even until evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking. Say nothing. Nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that had taken them, taken to them. David recovered all. Let us pray tonight. God, we come before you. We thank you for the word and its anointing. And God, we ask that that anointing would break the yoke of bondage in this house tonight. Lord, let us have years that would be attentive to hear and hearts that would be ready to receive what you have to say to us tonight. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And the church says, Amen. I want to preach to you on a simple thought tonight. A defining moment. A defining moment. There are many lives, or there are many moments in our lives where we have the opportunity to exceed expectations and do the unthinkable and it, just experience a great triumph. We have moments in our lives where the spotlight in maybe in our circle of friends or in our family seem to be on us and everybody is watching what is going to happen. We, we see this and we speak of this phrase, a defining moment, so often in the athletic world where, where people will talk about, you know, Michael Jordan's defining moments in his career when he would hit game-winning shots or he would just do these uh, amazing athletic feats on the basketball court or many can talk about... Uh, Defining moments for, for men such as Tom Brady that have won multiple championships. And I know nobody really likes him in this house tonight, but that's all right. You don't have to like him, but uh, I'm just going to talk about him just for a moment. But he's had many defining moments in his career. Peyton Manning, hits a little more close to home, has had uh, many defining moments in his career. And we find that these defining moments are moments that just stick in our mind, uh, that Many people in this room tonight, many fathers and grandfathers can take you to the place or, or tell you about the time that they sat in front of the TV screen and watched Pete Rose break the hitting record or, or these defining moments, these moments that just seem, Brother Chris, uh, to stick in our minds. They can be defining moments such as uh, when your child was born and you can remember the day, you can remember the moment, uh, you can remember the joy that flooded your soul uh, or or the day that you received Christ, you can vividly remember uh, maybe uh, elements of that service or that place that you were in, or maybe when you were called into ministry, or, or maybe uh, when you proposed to your wife, or where you got married at. Uh, all these things are defining moments. They are moments uh, that define us, that tell uh, a lot about who we are as people. And I want you to know tonight uh, that we are in a place uh, in our time, uh, in history, in America, 
We are at a pivotal spot uh, where the church has the opportunity. The church uh, of Jesus Christ in this nation uh, has the opportunity to have uh, a defining moment. You see, we read in this passage of Scripture uh, about uh, this raid on Ziglag, but if you go into the chapter previous uh, and, and, the, and even a few chapters before this, you'll find uh, that David and Saul are not, uh, no longer friends, but they're enemies. Saul seeks to kill David. David has 600 men and they flee and they go to the Philistines. And, and David befriends one of the rulers of the Philistines. And they, he gives him sanctuary in Ziglag. And he said, this is your home. This is where you and your people can operate and live. And we find in just the previous chapter in 1 Samuel chapter 29, we find excuse me, tonight, that David is on his way with his 600 men. They have left Ziglag, and they are on their way to fight against Saul. And, and you know, I, I've read this, 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 this text many times in my life, uh, but when you bring it all together, so, fo so often we focus on just chapter at a time, uh, but those chapters were not added till later, so it's one continual story that David was about to go and fight his own people. You say, what does this have to do with a defining moment? Let's, I'll get you there tonight. But what I want to point out is that I believe that this is so an, an accurate statement of where the church in America and where the nation of America is. Because what has happened is the enemy has come in through so many obstacles and so many situations that we've had to deal with in the past year to year and a half. The enemy has come in and now he has, uh, he has created such a void between God and his people. He has created a void in this nation uh, where if you vote red you don't like blue and if you vote blue you don't like red uh, and if you didn't vote for that person or you didn't appreciate or like this person this nation seems to be at such a divide and they are willing uh, to even we see on the news day in and day out brother Chris uh, that they are willing to fight one another but the sad thing is that even the people of God uh, in recent days I have seen uh, have had had the audacity to stand up and begin to cause conflict with one another. It happens within churches. It happens within denominations. It happens in denominational boundaries. Well, you're Pentecostal and we're Baptist, so we don't like you. And you're Methodist and we're Pentecostal, so we don't like you. And we've drawn all these lines. And what we don't realize is that the enemy has drawn us out into a battle that was never meant for us to fight. We were never meant to fight one another we were never meant to come against our brother and our sister in the Lord my Bible tells me in Mark chapter 3 and verse 25 these are the words of Jesus they are written in red yes they were spoken by Abraham Lincoln but Jesus said it 2,000 years earlier a house divided against itself cannot what stand if you cannot stand you have no authority if you cannot stand you have no power. If you cannot stand, you have no ability to move forward. Do you hear me tonight? And what we have done 
uh, and we have allowed the enemy to do in the American church uh, and in our country uh, is because is what we've done is we've allowed the enemy uh, to draw us out into a battle uh, where there is no spiritual growth, uh, there is no spiritual victory uh, because we have divided ourselves uh, and we cannot stand and preach the gospel. We cannot stand and preach the truth. Uh, we cannot stand and preach with authority and power. We cannot stand and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Why? Because we're consumed by a battle that we're not even supposed to be involved in. You see, what, what tells me is the nation becomes divided up when the church becomes divided. Uh, I remember Charles Finney saying, uh, as the pulpit goes, uh, so goes the nation. And I, I know these, these are no, no, nothing new. They, these are not new facts uh, that I'm telling you tonight. Uh, but I want you to understand uh, that there may be things and issues and problems going in your life. Uh, you may not like the person sitting up front. Uh, and person up front, you might not like the person sitting in back. Uh, but I want to tell you tonight, uh, that is not your battle. They are not your enemy. Uh, that what, what the enemy is trying to do, he's saying, listen, if I can divide the house, up, they cannot stand and preach with authority. If I can divide the house, up, they won't stand and worship in unity. If I can divide the house, up, there will be no wind of the Spirit. There'll be no rain of the Spirit. There'll be no moving of the Spirit. And there'll be no growth. So what I want to tell you tonight is first of all, what David did by leaving Ziglag, what he did by fighting a battle that he wasn't even supposed to be in involved in a battle of division what happened is he left his children he left his wife he left his people exposed to the enemy because he was distracted he was caught up in all the drama well Saul's after me so I need to be after Saul and Saul won't like my Facebook post so I'm going to unfollow Saul so listen we got into all this stuff the enemy's trying to get us involved in all this stuff that doesn't even matter and you don't even realize that what we've done is we left a generation exposed to attack I will tell you in the last three months I have talked with these young people it is unreal the attack that the enemy has placed on their hearts and on their minds I literally it's almost as if the devil has a hit list and he says I'm going to hit Elijah with that I'm going to hit TJ with this I'm going to get Carly with that I'm going to get Landon and Logan Shipley with this. And the enemy has been going through and seeking to devour a generation because we have people in the house, people in the church of America that are fighting a battle that will never be won. We're fighting a battle against each other and the adversary has come in and he has raided and laid siege to the minds and the hearts of our children and to the minds and hearts of a generation. And David left his family exposed. He left his family open to attack. He didn't even realize it. Didn't even, didn't even understand what was going on until he returned to the place that he once was. And he finds it's lying in ruin. He finds that it's, Ziglag has been burned to the ground. 
And everything that he's ever loved is gone. Everything that he's ever cherished is gone. Not just his family, but his nation, his people. They've been attacked. And the men that, the 600 men are, that are with David begin to cry and they begin to weep. And such great grief strikes them. The Bible says that they have no power to grieve any longer. Have you ever grieved so hard over a loss of a loved one? You got to the place that tears wouldn't even come out of your eyes. Words wouldn't even come out of your mouth. These men had lost everything. These men had lost everything. And church, I want you to know tonight, I, I read the headlines. I, I've seen the news. There's more riots. There's more trouble. There's more adversity. There's more laws being passed to come against the church. All these things seem to be combining together and, and, and forming into not many different attacks, but one giant attack on the people of God and the spirit of this nation. And he, the enemy has laid ruin to many cities in this nation. When I think of Ziglag laying in fire, I, I think of, of places in Minnesota. I think of places in Portland and I think of Seattle. Seeing the images of these cities consumed by fire. Brother Jason, it seemed to be over. But church, this is what I want to tell you tonight. It may seem to be over, but we are just in a defining moment. We are just in a, a place where God can begin to shine brighter than He ever has before through us, through the people of God. The people were so vexed. And listen, I, I, I've heard uh, many people make many prophecies and, and there have been many people that have come out, uh, I believe prematurely, and said that I was wrong on this or I did this wrong and I, I spoke falsely and I, I, I did this and I, I did that. And, and, and what we've seen is there's been backlash against the church. And there has been backlash against the leadership of the church. These men thought of stoning David. And, and you say, okay, that, that, that doesn't seem that bad. But David was the one that took them in when nobody else would take them in. These were men that came to the cave of Abdullam and they were, they were just down and out. They were in debt. They were downtrodden. Their hearts were beaten up and vexed. And he took them in. But this loss seemed so great that they thought, I'm done with this. Church, it is unreal the statistics and the numbers 
that would show that I've studied and looked at how many people, though through post-COVID now, through the vaccinations and all these things being out, that said, I will never go back or return to the house of the Lord. It was so bad that they said, I'm giving up. I'm throwing in the towel. But I want you to know that even in the despair that this nation finds itself in, that their eyes are still on the church of Jesus Christ. All attention in that moment, I believe, was on David. It was a defining moment. David, what are you going to do? And can I pose the same question uh, to PTC Ministries tonight? Uh, I know that we, we shouted and, and we rejoiced last Wednesday night. Uh, but this week is a different week. Uh, today is a different day. Uh, the enemy may have bombarded your life over the past week. Uh, and, and the atmosphere may not seem the same. Uh, but I have to ask you the question. Uh, are you going to live in the losses uh, or in the past of yesterday? The things of yesterday? Uh, are you going to realize that I'm in a place where I can define the rest of my spiritual life. I can get down on my knees. I can cry out to God because there are those around my, my, my friend's circle. I know there are those in my family that are looking to me saying, what are you going to do? You've talked about revival. Are you going to have revival? There are many looking at the church saying, you've talked about healing. Are we going to see healing? You've talked about signs and wonders. Uh, we want to see signs and wonders. You've talked about the miraculous. We want to see the miraculous. And church, I want you to realize that all eyes are on us right now. You may not realize it, young people, but somebody's watching every move you make. Somebody that you go to school with. Uh, somebody that you play sports with. Uh, somebody that you work with. Uh, somebody that you attend college lectures with. Somebody is watching your life. And they're saying with all this opposition, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to live from one good service to another? Are you going to hope that Jesus shows up like he did last Wednesday night and, and let, let's hope it'll be that way? Uh, are you going to say, I'm going to come into church uh, Sunday, Wednesday, whenever it may be with my mind made up, uh, my heart fixed and set on Jesus uh, that we're going to come in uh, and we're going to experience the glory and the power of God? Church, we're in a defining moment. We're in a moment where the world is looking at us Saying, what are you going to do? The Bible says, David turned to the priest. He said, hand me my ephod. I need the ephod. The ephod it's much more than just simply put as a prayer garment. It is a garment that was put on when the priest would make intercession about the future. 
It was where they would go in and ask God, here's the situation. What is it going to look like? What is the outcome going to be? The Bible says before David even asked for the ephod, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And you say, why why is that important, Pastor? Because some of us go to prayer just to pray. But some of us don't go in to prayer encouraged. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Some of us go into prayer not realizing who we really are. What does that have to do with anything? When you come in and you commune with God and you pray and you speak with God, you are not just your average human being. What you are is a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. They used to tell the story of a young boy that stormed into a bank, walked past all the tellers, everybody watching him, Walked into the bank manager's office and said, give me $5. I want $5 and I want it right now. He stands up and he gives him $5 and the little boy turns around and he storms out of the building. And the the bank manager was in a meeting with someone when this little boy stand in and he said, who does that little boy think he is? He said, that little boy is my son. Because when you're a son and you're a daughter and you realize who you are, you don't have to go through anybody else. You don't have to pray like everybody else. But you have direct access to the very throne room of God. So he encouraged himself in the Lord. He began to, I believe he began to say to himself, Pastor, I have not lived out my purpose yet. God promised me a throne and a crown and I have not seen it yet. God told me when when Samuel came to me as a young boy, he anointed my head with oil. I believe that I'm still anointed. I believe that God still has a call on my life. I believe that God still wants to use these hands. God still wants to use my mouth. God still wants to use my life. And he walked into prayer and he said God what are you asking this vessel this son this daughter this anointed man and woman of God what are you asking me to do should we pursue and the Lord said pursue For surely you will overtake, you will overcome, is what that word means. You will save, you will deliver them all. You will deliver them all. So David said, I will pursue. He gathered his 600 men. 200 were so grieved and so worn out from the grieving process that they couldn't even make the journey to go over to the Amalekites. And when they find the Amalekites, they find them rejoicing. But you see, what you don't understand is that all eyes were on David. And what David said is, I'm not going to let the enemy. His actions spoke louder than any word he ever said. He said, I'm not going to let the enemy 
Come into my house, into my life. Come in upon my children, upon my family. I'm not going to let that go unanswered. And Sister Terry, I believe, just as Jesus went into the temple with a righteous indignation and began to toss tables, I believe that spirit entered into David in that moment. And he said, we are not going to take this anymore. Instead of responding with, it's over. They outnumber us. It's too bad. We have nothing. There's no hope for America. There's no hope for the church. We're too divided. We'll never have unity. The Spirit of God will never move as the same He did in yesteryear. Or whatever excuse you may make. I want you to know that this world is watching. This city is watching this ministry. Saying, will they come out in this defining moment with their heads lifted, uh, their hands raised, uh, coming out of a prayer closet with victory and power and authority on their life, uh, or they will or will they flee uh, or will they let the enemy overtake this city? I'm telling you they're watching. And David said, We're not going to take this, but I'm going to confront the enemy right where he is. You see, so often as believers uh, in Christ, uh, we wait. Uh, we go through life and we wait. Uh, we wait for the enemy to attack. Uh, we wait for the trial and the obstacle to come. Uh, so many of us go through our Christian life uh, and we say we trust the Lord, but we're waiting. Uh, we're waiting as we draw closer to him for the next battle, the next obstacle. And listen, I know this Christian life, uh, you will have trials. Uh, you will have tribulations. Uh, and I know that Jesus said, I I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you even to the end. Uh, I'll get you through these things. Uh, but I want you to know that we're in a time and a place uh, where I will, where I refuse, uh, and I'm trying to, to, to preach and minister to these young people to say that I will refuse to allow you uh, to sit back uh, and let the enemy come and bombard your life. Uh, I want you to go on offense uh, instead of playing defense. Uh, I want you to get to the place uh, where you say, Oh no, devil, not today, uh, not in my life, uh, not in my mind. Uh, you're not putting that there. I'm not listening to that song. I'm not watching that dirty movie. I'm not listening to that filth. I'm not. I'm rejecting that filthy joke. Whatever it may be, you're going to go on offense and saying, listen, I'm living a life of purity. I'm living a life of holiness. I'm living a life of separation. Why? It's a defining moment in your life. And when you stand up and say, I'm doing this God's way. I'm not waiting for the enemy to come and take any more of my stuff. I'm not waiting for the enemy to take any more my joy. I'm not waiting for the enemy to take any more of my peace. I'm not waiting for the enemy to destroy the anointing and the column of God on my life. I'm going to where the enemy is at. I'm going to confront the issues in my life and I'm going to take back what the enemy has taken from me. Church, you see, David said, I'm going to where they are. I preached almost a year ago. Uh, the title of the message was A Time for, for, for Confrontation. 
It's a time for confrontation. I'm sick and tired of seeing the church blindsided by an attack or blindsided by this or blindsided by that in their life. I can't believe my son and daughter's watching that. I can't believe they're doing that. But no, I believe that we're in a time where we have to storm the gates of hell and let them know that they will not. They never have and they will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not waiting for depression to try to come upon me. I'm going to speak to depression every day and say, you can't have my life. I'm not going to wait for the stress and anxiety to overwhelm me. I'm going to wake up in the morning and say, guess what? Anxiety and fear, you can't have a hold of my life. Listen, every good thing that has ever happened in Scripture happened when good godly men and women began to stand up and say, I'm not afraid of a little confrontation. I'm not afraid of a little battle. The psalmist says in Psalms 144, God teach my hands to war, my fingers to fight. God creating these young people. God creating these parents. God creating these young and these grandparents and all these little ones. God create a warrior that will say, I'm not taking this from the enemy. I'm not listening to these lies. I'm not listening to what he's saying in my ear. I'm not listening to what my friends say that I am. I'm not listening to what this world and social media says I should be. What I should look like. What I should dress like. What I should listen to. I'm not letting this world dictate to me. I'm not letting the devil take the call of God on my life. But I will confront the issues. And I will overcome. They'll come to the music tonight. We see confrontation. I'll be real honest with you. Be very transparent. Ask my wife. It's very true. I hate confrontation. I will do anything in the world to avoid confrontation. Well, I don't like it. Never have. You see, I, I wasn't. I didn't get that from my mama. My mama. She would always say, "Oh, I hate confrontation." And I remember me and my brother would look back at her and watch her handle stuff in the church. I'd be like, man, she loved every minute of this. What's wrong with this woman? She just, I mean, she wouldn't. Yeah, no, we ain't putting up with that, no. It's just how she was. I didn't get that. I got the Merle Abrams gene. Let's just take it easy. It'll be all right. God will work it out. Let's just pray. Not that that's bad. There's a time and season. Listen, I understand. But listen, we've uh, we've adopted this 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 societal thing that has come in through social media. Where listen, young people, you don't have to. The the, the world says you don't have to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend face to face anymore. You can just send them a message. You can just send them a message. I don't like you. I would say it's not you, it's me, but we all know. No. This world has gotten so far away, Brother Dan, from face to face that we don't, ooh, I don't, mm, no. We'll say yes to anything. Why? Because we don't want confrontation. But in that defining moment, what David made up his mind about 
what, what made this moment so significant for the people of God because this is where a ministry could have ended. That's where a ministry could have ended. He lost it all. It's amazing that men would even follow him into battle because he lost it all. Chris, he missed it. He led them into a battle that they shouldn't be fighting in 1 Samuel 29. And, 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 and he was about to go into battle. The Philistines said, go home. We don't trust you. And on his way home, he didn't realize that he left his family exposed. He missed it. Now all eyes are on him. And they're saying, let's just put him out of his own misery. He's downtrodden. He's weak. He's, he's, just, he's a broken man. Young people, I don't know who this is for tonight, but some of you, you've done something no one knows about. I'm just obeying the Lord. You've done something nobody knows about. You've had a struggle that no one knows about. And you think, I've missed it. It's over. It's over. I just want you to hear me tonight. In the text we read, it should have been over. But David said, no. Devil, you're not getting by. Enemy, you're not getting by. Flesh, you're not getting by. With my stuff. You're not getting by. You're not stealing the future from my life. You're not stealing the purpose, the call. And he said, we're going, we're going to a confrontation. Listen, the children of Israel would have never came out of Egypt if Moses didn't confront Pharaoh. The children of Israel would have never taken the promised land if they didn't confront Jericho. Judges tells us of a story of a man named Gideon. He never would have led the children of Israel into a great victory if he didn't overcome his fear, confront his fear, and confront the idols in his nation. You see, confrontation, confrontation. We sit by so often, Brother Caden, and we just say, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. Living in victory doesn't mean you wake up and you wait for the enemy to oppress or come against you and say, oh, I got the victory. No, you wake up and say, devil, don't even try today because I already have the victory. I woke up with it. It's not something I take off and put on. It's something I live in. First Samuel 17 Goliath standing in the field, defying God, 40 days. Brother Logan, and the people of God were silent. They're facing annihilation. There's someone bigger and badder than them on the other side of the valley, and they're facing annihilation. No one would say anything until David showed up. He said, oh, we, we got to confront this. 
Do you realize that your sin, the freedom from your sin would have never happened if Jesus didn't confront the price? If he didn't confront the cross. If you'll stand with me across this house tonight. (laughs) Young people, your defining moments They happen when you think nobody's watching. Listen, someone, I tell you this all the time. Someone needs you, each and every one of you. Someone's watching your life. How are you going to respond? As simple as, how are you going to respond when you fail the test? How are you going to respond? When everybody around you are living in carnality and immorality, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond when you lose someone you love? How are you going to respond when you've just had a bad day? Adult, how are you going to respond when the money's just not there? How are you going to respond? When you just don't feel it and you walk into the house of God and say, I'm just too tired for this. How are you going to respond? Someone's watching you. Will you sit by and watch your nation be destroyed? Will you sit by and allow your children to be held captive? Will you remain quiet while the enemy takes what he wills? Mordecai spoke to Esther and he said, you have to do something. The Jewish people are about to be annihilated. You have to do something. She made up in her mind, Brother Jaden, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to confront this thing. What do you need to confront in your life? This is a defining moment. You don't have to live Live the same way you've been living. You don't have to deal with the same issues that you've been dealing with. You don't, listen, I, I, I don't like the roller coaster. People, oh, you know, spiritual, yeah, you have your spiritual ups and downs and that's part of life. Listen, we're, I believe that we can get so a hold of the Spirit of God that we can come to a place uh, where we don't have to walk into service and hope that God shows up, uh, but we can walk in and know that He showed up. Why? Because He's living on the inside of you and you had church before you ever came to church. I don't have to have dead church I don't have to have just a Wednesday night or or just a Sunday morning song service to get me through no I live this thing I don't have to wait for someone to lay hands on me and speak a prophetic tongue over my life I, I believe in all that but I don't need anybody to do this for me because I know Jesus myself So I ask you tonight, are you going to give up? Are you going to say, I want revival? If you want revival, you've got to confront lukewarmness. If you want revival, you've got to confront fear. You've got to confront your calendar. You've got to confront your priorities. If you want change in your marriage, 
You have to confront not just all her faults, uh, but your faults. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to confront the lust. Don't be afraid to confront the lies. Don't be afraid to confront the fear that says, I know I'm called, but I'm just not going to step into it. Confront it. I'm going to open these altars tonight. Kept you long enough. Hey everybody, Pastor Ron. I pray that today's message and program has been just a great blessing to you. And I just uh, am so thankful that we had the privilege to come into your home today or wherever you may be watching. I would encourage you to uh, continue to follow us. We're on all of the major social media platforms. Uh, we have podcasts that you can follow us with. I would encourage you to reach out to us and let us know. Our information's on the screen. And uh, if we've been a blessing to you, please contact us. Let us know. And we look forward to sharing the word of the Lord with you again uh, next time. God bless you. We'll see you soon.